Let us now turn to the book of Amos, Prophet Amos coming after the larger books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and uh, just a a couple of prophets, uh, of the minor prophets, are, are go before Amos, Hosea, and Joel. So let us turn to the seventh chapter, where I'll be reading from verse 12 down through verse 17. Amos 7, 12 through 17. Beginning to read then with verse 12. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the royal residence. And then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, or was I a son of a prophet? But I was a sheep herder, a sheep breeder, and and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spout against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by survey line, and you shall die in a defiled land. And Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. Thus saith the Lord, according to this scripture passage, the name of the sermon, or the title of the sermon today is Amos Apology. And when, of course, when we use the word apology in that sense, it's not like we use it in English where we're apologizing for something that we've done wrong. Uh, an apology in, from the idea in Latin um, and in Greek, uh, apologia, it, it means a defense or an argument that we make to defend ourselves like in a court of law. And so in this case, the sermon means that here Amos is making a defense of himself. He's not apologizing for preaching God's word. He's making he's he's making an apology um, uh, or a defense of his preaching God's word, and so it reminds us of some of the best parts of the Reformed faith and of the gospel, where we think of proclaiming the word of God in the face of the enemies of this world. We think of their program as a a great retardant against God and his word. But God's word goes forth and it cannot be defeated. Now I've noticed just lately in America here, and we've got so much political discussion, political debate, that I've noticed, at least on conservative circles, but even sometimes in liberal circles, people are asking, what's wrong? What's wrong? And just just recently, I've begun to hear some more sober answers to what's wrong. Um, uh, when I, most of my life, when I was younger, and there were discussions of this sort of thing, the accusation was that that the community of the of Americans just wasn't caring enough, that they they didn't care about the weaker part of the society as much as they should, and so. 
uh, that was when the country was moving toward a socialism uh, that we have today. And uh, the, the accusation was that people just didn't care enough about each other. But uh, we've, we've completed that part of the cycle, and we're, we've come to the place where the, the middle class has almost been taxed to death. And so the middle class is running out of money that, the, that will provide for these socialistic schemes, for the, these, these ideas, for that error or for that sin, according to that, uh, the, that idea. Uh, just, uh, just recently, I've begun to hear people talking about how the f- family breakup, breakup is the reason for what's going on right now. Because people ask, what is wrong? What, what, how can we get ourselves back on track as America? So, and some people have begun to say, because um, this is especially remarkable in the black community, uh, where it's it's even worse than in the white community in terms of family breakup and the the loss of the idea of a covenant head, the, the father, the husband of the family. And so there's been some mention of uh, family breakup and uh, then also the loss of values, the loss of values. Now, when I've heard this recently, you might think I would applaud, and I do applaud it to a certain degree. We're, we're starting to get close to the problem. But I, whenever conservatives argue that way and they say, oh, well, because of the break of the family, I want to scream out, but what protects the family or what inspires the family? Why should the family have any values whatsoever? And, of course, the answer to that is uh, because of the Lord, because he inspires us, because he is our great value. He is the top of the pyramid. Then we can have lesser values lower on in the, in the pyramid that might control our lives. And so um, when people ask the question, what's wrong with us today? Why are we behaving so badly? Why are we now plundering these urban stores, openly thieving and, and stealing from them with a, a kind of uh, happiness and joy and alacrity? How can we be doing this? Well, it's because We've already stolen from God over and over again. We've stolen his glory, even as we prayed earlier. We've stolen from his glory, from his uh, noble name. And once you've stolen from God, it's a small step to steal from each other or to degrade each other or to rape and to pillage. Uh, And so a lot of the politicians today say it's, it's no big thing to have open borders but they, they forget that they're changing based on the basic definitions of life. Uh, if, you, if you destroy the borders of a country, you destroy, you destroy the idea of one of the definitions of the country. You, you don't really have a country if you have no borders because then they're just part of whatever goes beyond those borders. But we are dead set today to, to make a, a rebellion against every definition, against every set of boundary marks, whether it's language or nation state, or morality, uh, ethics, uh, the law of Moses, all of these places, we're, we're, we're dead set against them and we're ready to, to break against them. Um, and um, Proverbs 29, 18, one of the first sermons I heard as a young pastor was a, a sermon by a PCA pastor in Alabama. And he took for his text Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, or revelation is the, the sense of it there. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But happy is he who keeps the law. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And he went on to belabor that in terms of the Reformed faith to make sure that everybody understood 
that it was talking about the revelation of God, where there is no prophecy, where there is no word from God. Uh, we tend to, as a people, uh, perish because there's no, there's no great focal point for our lives. And that's why Jesus, when Jesus came teaching, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, if you have a controlling idea in your life to seek first the kingdom of God, if you love the kingdom, if you love the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you go to seek that, that will be a focal point that's able to flavor your life and and, uh, instill in you the kind of long-lasting values that it takes to be a father and a mother and a friend and a neighbor and these kinds of things. But we lost all that. Now, if, we, if you follow me thus far, then you can see why, how important uh, Amos' message was to Israel because he came to Israel, these northern ten, ten tribes. This is, it's, we call it Israel because uh, that's what it came to be known, the ten tribes, Judah and Israel, even though originally the whole nation was called Israel. But as, <clears throat> as uh, it came to be called that, these northern ten tribes split off. There was a civil war. And the, the ten tribes split off from the south. And the more, when, when that happened, then they, they, they were trying to develop a new idea that would unite them. Instead of, instead of Jehovah God that united the whole country, and what did they do? They, they united behind the, the cities of Samaria and Bethel, these, some of these northern Israeli cities, and uh, the worship there. And they, it really was a terrible co- a consequence because... As they, as they separated from the south, they separated from the temple that was located in Jerusalem and the worship that was located there. And as their worship failed, their politics failed, their, their, northern, their, their social fabric failed. And Amos was sent into this to preach God's word. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Amos was sent there to awaken the people, to call them back, to, to warn them that they were so close to destruction uh, and be, being taken away captive to a foreign land, that uh, Ill, ill-begotten uh, gains were the only ones that were ahead of them, and they were no gains at all. And so it's very easy to, to see Amos here in this, in this uh, the context of the Word of God, the force of the Word of God, and it's either the Word of God or nothing. Now, um, um, uh, in the, the, the outline of the sermon that you have on that first page, we see in this passage, a very short, it's not, very, not extended or prolonged, but it's an apology by Amos. But we also see the reason for the apology. That's my first point. The reason for the apology. Why does Amos give a defense of himself? And that's what he gives here in, um, in verses... Um, uh, 15, uh, uh, well, 14 and 15. He gives a defense of his prophetic role, his prophetic office. But why does he give a defense of that? Why is he defending the idea that he's a prophet? And that what he's saying is a prophecy. Well, it's because he came to the north and he started prophesying. He didn't ask for anybody's permission. You know, he didn't get, go to the diocese of Israel, the north, the north diocese, and say, uh, you know, I'd like to come and preach up here uh, because I feel called by God and uh, and so I'm looking for your permission. Now Amos just arrived and he started prophesying and preaching for the Lord. And then what we see is that Amaziah, verse 12 uh, 
he began to speak to Amos. And what we know is that Amos was one of the high priests of uh, the Israeli uh, Israeli, uh, ecclesiastical uh, state. Uh, He was one of the high priests who had once been connected to the priesthood in in Jerusalem. Um, uh, But now that the nation was divided, they, they allowed that political division to also insinuate itself upon the church it's terrible when the, the, the church is affected by the state to this degree, but it happens again and again and again in history. And so, uh, Amos, uh, so Amaziah, when Amos started to preach there, the word began to get back to the ecclesiastical bureaucracy in the north. There's a guy that's disturbing the peace. He's proclaiming these doctrines of our evil here in these north. How are we going to keep the, the morale of the ten tribes alive if we've got this itinerant preacher going around lambasting us and condemning us for uh, what he thinks is our sins. You have to read earlier in the book to see all that he says about that. But uh, that's often what happens. Uh, Unhappily, often our religious bureaucracies are more bureaucratic than they are religious. They're more dedicated to keeping the momentum, the humanistic momentum of their own institutions alive, whether they be churches or seminaries or communities, more interested in that than in God's truth. And so in this case, uh, Amaziah represented the worst of this. And Amaziah took it upon himself, and so immediately he began to, um, he began to complain uh, about uh, Amos, prophesying, and uh, we see that start in verse 10. It says, Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to hear all his words. Um, So we see here he's using the word conspired, and we see the same things going on today. We see the same things going on in history. You can make a political argument against anybody and anything based upon what values you start with. If you start with feminism, well, then you can easily make an argument that such and such a person is trying to bring down the society because of cruelty to women. Well, the whole question is how do we define cruelty? How do we even define women today? That's hard. People have a hard time understanding that. But it's based on these definitions. So Amaziah just defined things according to the way that insurrectionists always define things, that is, in an anti-theistic, anti-Jehovah way. And he brought this argument, this, this uh, corruption, uh, to Amos' name. So uh, number two, then, in terms of the outline, uh, Amos begins his apology. And he begins, he doesn't begin with a theological idea, really. He begins autobiographically, doesn't he? He says, in verse 14, he, he, it says, Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder or a sheep herder and a tender of sycamore tree, fruit. In other words, Amos is saying, I was not, Amos, the man, was not in this. I couldn't have been further from the prophetic office. I was a simpleton in many ways. I was just doing very down-to-earth, earthy things. I was, I was shepherding sheep and breeding sheep. I was, I was a, a husbandman for uh, sycamore trees. 
I mean, it's almost humorous. So his, his, his defense begins with the idea that yeah, you, you accuse me of being a prophet, but he, the question is, how did I get to be a prophet? <laughs> I was a, this simple, uh, simple man who lived in Judah, just mind, minding his own business. How did I end up up here preaching to you people? Was it not because the living God grabbed a hold of my life and my soul? Of course. The Lord is behind. So Amaziah brought a charge against Amos that he was an insurrectionist. But Amos says, no, I'm just under orders. Remember, the Apostle Paul talked this way about himself. Being under orders. Well, all prophets have. All apostles have. They didn't, they didn't get these ideas of a gospel. They, didn't, they weren't uh, aflame with the idea of the kingdom of God. But God's spirit arrested them and, and gave them an excitement for Christ and for the kingdom of God. And God brought them along. And so that's one of, in our lives, when people accuse us of things, we can say the same thing. It's very powerful. Say, look at, <laughs> you know, you accuse me of all these grandiose things. I wish it were true that these ideas came from me. But they came from me because I got converted. I was just as dumb as you are. I was just, I had as much hatred and enmity in my heart against the Lord as I see that you do. But something changed. God arrested me and my life. That's what I said. That's what Amos is saying here. Um, and so um, in verse 17, um, the third part of his apology here, he says, therefore, thus says the Lord. You, so he's saying here, you didn't, like, you didn't like what I was prophesying so far, these generalities about Israel? Let me bring them down to home. This thus says the Lord about you and your life. And listen to this, verse 17. Your wife shall be as a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided like a by, by a survey line. And you shall die in a defiled land. And Israel shall surely be led away captive. Amos is not... Influenced at all by these political threats by Amaziah, does he? The world always comes at us and they threaten our livelihoods. They tell us to go home. They tell us to, to go where we belong. Amos did not shirk his duty at all, but he, he at that point God brought out another prophecy for Amaziah upon his own, own head. His wife would become like a harlot in the city. Now, what what things do we hold dear? We've already been speaking this morning about some new marriages. Re reference to Ethan's marriage of, a, I guess you guys have been married a couple years now. Uh, it's, I know it's not too long. And uh, Ruthie just got engaged. When we get engaged to each other, we are saying to each other, we want to pledge our troth or our, our faith in the fact that I want to have you as my wife and I want to have you as my husband. And we, we basically, we take an oath to each other that, that, uh, that you will each be your, each other's property together. You, 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 are, you belong to each other. And it's like private property, but it's much greater than private, it's much greater than owning a Chevy or Ford truck or something like that. This is uh, this is a sacred relationship 
that is binding and that uh, the God, you're asking God to protect that relationship from all other seductions, all other people that would say, I like the look of your wife or I like the look of your husband. I'm going to claim him for myself. You're saying, no, you're putting up a fence. You're saying this union is sacred before the Lord. This is something that is kept by God. This is holiness. It's part of God's original plan for mankind when he created us male and female and told us to take up union together and build new families. But here with Amaziah, Amos brings this word of condemnation that his family was going to be broken. His children were going to be killed. When you, when you have children, there's no greater love that we have than for our children. But in this case, the, the children that Amaziah had brought forth humanistically, that is by his own power, without respect to the living God, these children were going to be killed. His wife that he had married with lofty hopes. When everybody gets married, the humanists get married. I don't know of a single marriage that's ever taken place where people were snarling and, and sneering at each other and saying, ah, you know, this is, we're going to get married because we're going to create, we're going to do a whole lot of evil, you and me. You know, no, that's the opposite. But so, uh, so uh, uh, Amaziah, though he was, uh, we call him a liberal Christian in, in that day or a non-confessing Christian in ter- or a believer in terms of Jehovah God, He had these high hopes himself, but uh, Amos' word dashed those hopes to the ground. Amos was saying as a prophet of the living God, this was going to happen. Now, when a prophet says something, what comes of it? it? Jesus was a prophet. He prophesied that he was going to rise again from the dead. (laughs) Against all odds, it had never been seen before in in, uh, human history, at least in in this way that uh, someone could uh, could rise again from the dead by uh, the power of the living God, by the power of righteousness alone. But that's what Jesus pronounced. That's what Jesus announced. What was the outcome of that? Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus announced that the nation, the nation of Israel would be cursed. The nation state of Israel would be cursed. Not all Jews in terms of a plurality, but in terms of the nation state, I think it's uh, Matthew 24, he said that uh, the nation would be left to itself desolate, quoting from Psalm 69, which is a famous curse psalm in the Bible. Well, what happened there? You know, Did, uh, did uh, Israel persevere in the face of this prophecy by the Son of Man? No, they did not. 70 AD, they, the Romans marched in, they burned the temple, they, they, took, they scuttled it, they raised it, they took one stone from another and took it down. They went into the basement libraries of, of the temple and uh, burned all of the temple scrolls, all the, all the um, uh, uh, lists of families who they were related to, where the genealogies that prove that you were an Israelite, they just destroyed all of that. They killed so many of the people. And, and uh, uh, of course, this had been done twice, twice before by the Babylonians. Not, not the raising of the temple, but the taking of the people captive by the Babylonians. And then the Assyrians. And that's what Amos was talking about, the Assyrian conquest here, which was soon 
to come to pass upon the northern ten tribes. And so this affects Amaziah's family in a very personal way. And guess what happened to Amaziah's family? Did his wife remain a chaste, uh, virginal kind of figure before Israel? No. Amaziah's wife became like a prostitute in the land, a common person. And uh, his sons and his daughters were killed. Uh, Amaziah died in a foreign land. And uh, the, the northern ten tribes of Israel were led away captive. So in Amaziah's apology or in his defense of the word of God for that day, it comes to bear in a poignant way upon uh, Amaziah himself. And um, this brings us to uh, our day and to remembering, remembering the parallels in Jesus' life because in the same way that, Am, that uh, Amos made an apology, uh, Jesus, in a sense, made an apology in his life because he, he, he had the same kinds of problems as Amos as he prophesied. He, remember, he was the last prophet. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus was, is the last prophet uh, to speak to the church of Christ, uh, along with the apostles who collected Jesus' revelation and put it down in the Bible that we have. It's one of the arguments that we have against the, the charismatic movement and, and that when they say or when they claim that they have prof, living prophets among themselves. It's a, it's a very heavy and momentous thing to claim that a person is a prophet because if you are a prophet, then you're like Amos and your words come to pass. If you're not a prophet, then you can be arrested, at least in Israel, you could be arrested and stoned to death for being a false prophet. It's very significant. The only defense against false prophecy was the stoning of the prophet. In terms of a priest or a king, the church could bring charges against you. But in terms of, uh, in terms of being a false prophet, you could have the whole church that was with the false prophet. Uh, but uh, if, if they were really a false prophet, then, they, then the people... Uh, with by trial had the right to sow on that prophet to death. And so um, what we see in Jesus' life um, in, um, in Romans 1, that's one of the passages in the New Testament that I love, and I, I didn't see it for many, many years, but in Romans 1, in the preface, as Paul writes to this church in Rome, he's writing to the, a church in, in the capital of the a Roman imperial Rome, the city of Rome. This was when, when, when Jesus had the death penalty proclaimed over his head over there in the west and east of there in Palestine. It, it had the twin imprimatur of the Sanhedrin, which was the old government of Israel, and also the proclamation of the emperor uh, of Rome. You could only get the death penalty if, Ro if the Roman court, if the imperial court agreed. And so when, when Jesus was crucified, it was, it was by the verdict of the most sophisticated political entity of his day, that is imperial Rome. And as Paul writes to Rome, you notice what he says in the first chapter. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated from the, to the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, according to his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, 
who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by what? By the resurrection from the dead. So the very first word that, that Paul brings to the imperial Rome, to the church of imperial Rome, is the proclamation that though you found Jesus Christ worthy of death, worthy, worthy of a capital crime, and worthy of execution for a capital crime, even though imperial Rome decreed this, and we can say the same thing today for our nation today, our nation today can proclaim certain things. They can even proclaim that Jesus was worthy of death. But God has his own proclamation. And what will that be? Where is the truth of these various proclamations? Well, he says, Paul says that he was declared to be the son of God, not, not, uh, not a, uh, a career criminal, not a criminal worthy of death, a cap worthy of a capital crime. He was declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So you, you see the sense of this immediately. Rome and all of her imperial majesty has declared this man worthy of death. But the resurrection from God declared him to be the son of God. Not, not the son of Satan, not the son of uh, iniquity, but the son of God. So few preachers today understand that there's more evil in the world than simply bad theology. There's bad politics. There are, there's a satanic kingdom which the world often supports and politicizes. And these things are evil too. And God dealt with that. In terms of the, the greatest secular power of that day, Imperial Rome, it was the greatest and the most organized civil organization of the ancient world, Imperial Rome. They'd given up on some of the lofty ideas of the ancient Greeks, some of the philosophies of people like uh, Socrates and Plato. They'd given up on that. Rome, uh, Rome descended or uh, uh, telescoped into raw political power. It was the political power of the legions that decreed what was right and wrong. And they decreed, when they got their hands on Jesus Christ, they declared him to be worthy of a capital crime. Our Savior and our Lord the Lamb of God, the man who was completely righteous and not guilty of anything, much less the sedition which Rome accused him of and killed him for. But this one was raised from the dead. The powers of Rome, the powers of political, civil power could not hold him dead. He was declared to be the Son of God by raising him from the dead. We can also go to Corinthians. Um, <clears throat> In chapter 15, where it tells us that uh, about the gospel of Jesus Christ and his rising again from the dead, um, this, this, this resurrection being seen by James and by all the apostles, and last of all, to be seen by me also as one born out of time. Unworthy, he says, Paul says, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Here was a man who killed Christians because of his, uh, his confusion and his enmity against the true God. A, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a man who had been steeped in the Old Testament religion, had actually opposed the Messiah when he'd come. But Paul said, uh, 
But now, in verse 20, he says, But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each according to his order. And uh, he says in verse 25, For he must reign till he has put all his enemies uh, to death or under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Oh, the power of Jesus Christ, the theological power of Christ, the philosophical power of Christ, the civil power of Christ, the economic power of Christ. Christ is our great king, and he will bring about the new heavens and the new earth. Amos came preaching the same kind of message. His apology was of one sort. Jesus' apology was of another. But both men found that men opposed the word of God, and both men preached on despite it and accomplished God's purposes regardless of what men said. And so uh, Amos, in this sense, prefigures our Lord and his prophecy um, gives us a lot of insight into uh, how we ought to carry ourselves today and what, what is going on in our world today. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for this this silly man, Amos, this sheep herder, this, this uh, gardener of sycamore trees. We thank you for him, O Lord, because we see a great man here, made great not because of his own humanistic gifts, but made great because of thy spirit. And we pray, O God, today might thy spirit raise up more men today to sing of thee and thy kingdom. Might thy spirit today give us the eyes to see such texts as these, such themes as these, as the powerful themes and texts that they are. Help us to preach Christ, O Lord, and his kingdom. Help us to see its effect upon all of life. Help it to change us. Help it to change our marriages. Help us to be warned by the condemnation that fell upon Amaziah and these northern ten tribes. Help us, O Lord, to walk in thy way. Help us to love thee with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our mind, through the perfect obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.